Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us, willingly laying down your life for us. God, we pray that you would help us to see the story of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus afresh today. Would you help us to see what it means for our lives today and this week and as we go from here. May we be changed again by your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been going through a sermon series here at Cornerstone where we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus. There are, depending on how you count them, seven or eight of them in John chapters 6 through 15. For the most part, these sayings have used ordinary, everyday language to tell amazing truths about Jesus. He's used analogies like bread and light and a road, things that we come across every day to explain these powerful truths of who Jesus is. But the one that we're going to look at today is different. The one that we're going to look at today is in John 11:25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's different because resurrection was not a daily occurrence. Resurrection um, happens, it means that somebody's alive after they have died, and that's not what we usually see. Even think about it. Here in Little Fergus Falls, you pick up your paper, you read the obituary. Did anybody notice in Tuesday's paper just how many there were? Just in, in Little Fergus Falls, in most days, there's an obituary or there's a death notice. And you notice how people talk about death. They say things like, his life came to an end, or her life was cut short. Because death is a part of life. It's an awful part of life. It's a part of life that causes us to grieve and to have sorrow. It's a part of life that pretty much everybody wants a solution to. But without Jesus, there is no solution. And that's why these words, I want them to stand out again to us today. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he is offering a solution to death. And may our souls rejoice. Because unless Jesus comes again before we die, our bodies are going to die. And we're going to need that resurrection that only he can offer. Now it's fascinating to me how this plays out in our passage today. At the end of our passage, and yes, I'm going to give away the ending before we get there, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's an amazing miracle, but there's also something fascinating to me in the midst of it. When we get to uh, verses 21 to 27 of our passage, I'm going to slow down a little bit and take a look at some of the things there because Jesus asked a woman named Martha there if she believed in Jesus' resurrection power before she saw it. And it's just a great reminder for us. Do we believe in Jesus' promises before we see them? There are great and wonderful promises, promises of heaven and eternal life and eternal joy and eternal pleasure at God's, at God's side. Do you believe in those even before you see them? It's an important question of faith for us. Well, we know the story. We know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We know also that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I want to show you a verse from Acts 2, verse 24. It says, speaking of Jesus, but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because, and listen to this, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death could not keep the author of life. Jesus is victorious. 
But this resurrection, now we, we think on Easter Sunday about the resurrection of Jesus, and we should. That's where it all comes from. But did you know that we get in on that resurrection as well? For those of us who believe in Jesus, that we will get resurrected? It's this resurrection power that's on display in our passage today. Now, usually on Easter Sunday, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And I do intend to do that. We're going to come around to that again. At the end of my sermon, I want to talk about what the death and resurrection of Jesus mean for us. But today, I want to, I want to finish up this sermon series that we've been doing where Jesus had these I am sayings. And, and today, we're going to focus on this story where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead because it's the same kind of resurrection power at work it shows the power of God to bring life out of death. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to walk through this story in John 11, this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It points ahead to the resurrection of Jesus. It points ahead to our resurrection. And then after that, like I said, I want to show three things that the death and resurrection of Jesus teach us about God for our daily lives. So John 11, I want to start by reading verses 1 through 5. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So the story starts out with three people that Jesus dearly loved, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. It says in verse 5 that he loved all of them. But Lazarus was sick. And when Jesus heard about it, in verse 4, he told us already what to expect. And I love what he said. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This is not just some regular story about some guy getting sick and dying. This is something powerful that's happening here. Verses 6 through 10. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Now, interestingly, Jesus didn't go right away. When he learned that his friend, whom he loved, was sick, he didn't go there right away. And this is the same Jesus who had already performed a bunch of miracles, right? This is the same Jesus who had healed people from long distance. Yet, here, he just stays where he is for a couple of days after getting this message. Something more powerful is going on here. And then also, just a quick note, in verses 9 and 10, it reminds me of one of the other I am sayings of Jesus when he said, I am the light of the world. When we are with Jesus, we have light. Okay, verses 11 through 16. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of, his, of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus started out talking about Lazarus sleeping and his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, but Jesus meant death. And I actually think it's kind of cool that Jesus uses this word and it's used other places in the Bible as well. Sleep as, as a kind of a more pleasant name for death. Why? 
Why sleep? Well, what happens after we sleep? We wake up. Sleep is temporary. And I think that Jesus uses this word here to talk about the temporary nature of death. That God is the God of life and he doesn't want us to stay dead forever. So he sent Jesus because he is the life. He's the bread of life. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. Jesus is life. And then I want to point out something important from verse 15. It's the word believe. For your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. This word believe is I think one of the key words in our passage today. It shows up eight times. I'll point them out for you as we go. The point of Lazarus' death and the point of what Jesus was doing here was to be a, a display of God's power so that the people who saw it and so the people who read about it, including us, would believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. To believe. It's important. And then I love Thomas's response in verse 16. Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes because uh, we know later on in the story that he had some doubts. But here, he had a lot of faith. That, All right, if Jesus is going to go um, and you know, there's going to be this death, let's go that we might die with him. Way to go, Thomas. Although that's not exactly what Jesus meant, but still, we like the, the heart behind it. Verses 17 through 20. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So by this time, Lazarus had died, and in verse 19, we get a little window into the, the picture of mourning in ancient Israel, that oftentimes people would come and gather with a mourning family and mourn with them, even for a period of days. Death is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Um, it's something to be mourned. It's something to grieve over. Although, like it says in First Thessalonians, that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We, we have hope, so our grieving should be different. But now let's move on to this fascinating discussion between Jesus and Martha in verses 21 to 27. This is the one I said we're going to camp out on a little bit longer and look at what's in here. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Do you remember Martha from a different story in the Bible? We talked about it not too long ago here. It's in Luke 10. Jesus came to visit the home of Mary and Martha. And what was Mary doing? Slacking off. No, 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 that's not the way the story kind of looks like it at first. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. And what's Martha doing? She's busy with all the preparation. You ever been that way? Oh, people are coming over. I've got to get the house ready. That was Martha that day. And Martha's starting to get a little ticked off with her sister Mary. And she even tries to pull rank and say, Jesus, tell, listen to what she said. Don't you, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus responded by saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. The best thing to do was to sit and listen to Jesus. Martha had been too busy at that time to do that. But it sure looks to me, after that story, 
like Martha learned her lesson. Now, why do I say that? The verses that I just read for you in John 11, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody but Jesus in the Gospels give a more faithful explanation of what is true. I think that Martha learned her lesson. She learned to sit at the feet of Jesus. It says that Jesus loved her. We already heard that earlier in this story. It looks like Martha loved Jesus. It looks like Martha, Martha listened to Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, embraced the truth that Jesus proclaimed to her. So in verse 21, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not, would not have died. She believed that Jesus could heal. In verse 22, I know that now, even now God will give you whatever you ask. She believed that Jesus had such an intimate relationship with the Father that, that he would give Jesus whatever Jesus asked. She said in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now that's an interesting one. Um, Martha believed in the resurrection. She just didn't believe it would happen as soon as it was going to happen in this story. But this is actually really fascinating because Jews of Martha's day were not known for their strong beliefs in, in resurrection or eternity. Martha here actually stands well above her religious leaders in her understanding of what Jesus was going to do. So again, I, I point out to you that I think that Martha had really been listening to Jesus. And then in verse 25, again, this is before the resurrection, resurrection of Lazarus, before the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. We can learn a lot from Martha in these verses. I, I think that we can even look behind the scenes and, and learn about how she loved and followed Jesus. And she stands as a wonderful example for us of sitting at the feet of the Master and, and being changed by him. And that's my, my prayer for you, is that you would sit at the feet of Jesus, that you would learn his love for you and that you would love him in return and that you would allow him to change not just your theology, although I do want that to happen. I want him to, to constantly reform our theology as we, as we listen to who he is and what he has for us. But I also want us just to stick with him, whatever he has for us, that we would be with Jesus, that we would do life with him. And now I want to take a closer look at what Jesus said in verses 25 and 26. This is kind of a... I was going to say the crux of the passage, although crux kind of means cross. So this is an interesting word. No, we'll just say this is kind of the, the main point of what Jesus is saying here. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I want to ask you, do you believe this? Again, the key word in here is believe. Jesus mentioned both in verse 25 and 26 what will be true of people who believe in him. And then he asked a third time, used that word a third time, to ask, do you believe this? Now, verses 25 and 26 are very similar, although I think they're also saying something slightly different. In verse 25, Jesus said, He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So even if our bodies die, our souls can live forever if we believe in Jesus. The most important part of us, the us part of us, will live forever if we believe in Jesus, even if our bodies die. And then in verse 26, Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So those who believe in Jesus will, in some sense, never die. Death is not the end. In fact, I challenge you, as you're talking about death, don't use the word end. Don't say his or her life ended too soon. Try to come up with a definition of death that doesn't include the word end because it's not an end. We're going to spend eternity in one of two places, and I want it to be, for you and for me, the place where we are with Jesus. Death is not an end. Now, left to ourselves, 
death would be terrible. Death would be eternal separation from God because that's what our sins deserved. Our sins are so awful that they, they need to be punished. We, we might think that our sins aren't that bad, but they are that bad. And the punishment is separation from God in the place that God has designed as punishment for Satan and his followers. But because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, all who believe in him will not have to face that death. In Revelation 20, verse 6, it says the second death has no power over them. So the first death would be the death where our bodies die, but the second death would be that death where we'd be separated from God forever. We don't have to face that death. If we are in Christ, we get spared from that. We get saved out of it. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let's move on to the next section now where Martha sent Mary to meet Jesus. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary said the same thing in verse 32 that Martha said in verse 21. But this conversation was cut short, perhaps because there were other people there that, that were with Jesus and Mary. So let's move on to the next section, verses 33 to 37. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now, there's a lot we could say about these verses. In fact, there's, there's several things about these verses that I don't really know. Why was Jesus so troubled? Why did Jesus weep? I have guesses, suggestions maybe, although I, I do think it's pretty neat to, to see that Jesus had this very human reaction of weeping. That death is a terrible thing, and perhaps part of what Jesus was weeping about was just the fact that, that we weep when there's death. Maybe, Jesus, maybe that's part of what troubled Jesus, is that death looks like it's so victorious. When, when Jesus knows that, that he has the final answer, that he has victory over death, I, I don't know. There's lots in here I don't know. Uh, one interesting thing, though, I want to point out in verse 37, where the people said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's referring back to John 9. We looked at that a few weeks ago, where Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. And remember what they said there? Um, it says, Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. So who is this Jesus? He can... He can give a blind man back his sight? Couldn't he have stopped his friend Lazarus from dying? What is going on here? Well, something powerful is about to happen. Verses 38 through 40. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So when Jesus asked for the stone to be taken away, Martha objected because she thought there would be a bad odor. And doesn't this just sound like something from everyday life? A woman, woman having to tell a man about a bad odor? Like he just... Uh, uh, please don't let that be the only thing you remember about this sermon. But, uh, but go ahead and use it. Okay. Uh, 
time. Jesus hadn't gone nose blind here. That, that was not the issue. Martha still didn't know all that Jesus intended to do. And this scene actually reminds me a lot of what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead on that first Easter Sunday and a, a group of followers went to the tomb to do what? To anoint his dead body. His dead body is what they were looking for. And didn't Brian read it earlier? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is showing his power over death here. It's very powerful. God is the God of life. And I love verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There's that key word again, believe. And I think that that's for these those people who were there that day when they got to see Lazarus come out of the tomb, I believe that these words are for us, that if we believe, we will see the glory of God because we have eternity in heaven to look forward to. For all of us who believe, it will be glory. Death is not the end of the story. That rhymes. Let me make a song about that. Okay, verses 41 to 44. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love this. In in the original Greek, in verse 41, it says that they lifted up the stone, but Jesus lifted up his eyes. Jesus knew where the power would come from, the power of life over death. He looked up to the one who could give it. He came, like he said in verse 42, so that people would believe that he was sent from God. The story of Lazarus is meant to point ahead to the resurrection of Jesus, and it's meant to point ahead to the resurrection that we also will receive for those of us who believe in Jesus. And then one kind of cool thing too, a bunch of theologians have pointed this out in verse 43. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, um, he specifically had to say Lazarus because if he didn't mention the name Lazarus, any dead person within earshot might have come out of the grave. It wasn't their time yet. Just Lazarus as a, as a foretaste of the resurrection power, as a foretaste of, of what will happen for us, for those of us who believe in Jesus. Okay, then verses 45 to 46. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Here we see a picture of two different responses. Many of the Jews who saw this, like it says in verse 45, put their faith in him. Faith is the same word as believe. So this is now the eighth time that this word has shown up in our passage about believing. But then in verse 46, the other people went and told the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. And in the Gospel of John, that has negative connotations because the Pharisees were the ones who were plotting to kill Jesus. In fact, things got so out of hand here for the Pharisees that you remember that in the next chapter it says that they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Isn't that interesting? Instead of seeing the power of what God had done here, they wanted to kill Lazarus and Jesus. So these two verses stand as a good reminder for us. We must either believe in Jesus, give our lives to him, or we put ourselves in with those who wanted to kill Jesus. Or I could ask it this way. What would be the next thing you say about Jesus? There were some here who put their faith in Jesus. Apparently they went up to Jesus and told them that they believed in him. There were others who went out 
and told other people why they didn't believe in Jesus? What are going to be your next words about Jesus? As you, as you go from here, are you going to tell others that you believe in Jesus? Or are you going to come up with some reason that you don't? So, that's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. God calls the dead to life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We can either believe in Jesus and get in on this resurrection, or we can reject Jesus and, and face the punishment of those who reject him. So what I want to do now is I want to end my sermon by talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus and what they mean for us. And, and by the way, there are lots and lots of good reasons to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that it's not just some religious story, that it's not some myth that we came up with. In fact, a couple of years ago I wrote a book, and, and chapter two in my book, um, a lot of it had to do with, with reasons, historical, logical, spiritual reasons that we have to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. If anybody in here hasn't yet received a free copy of my book, you can come up to me afterwards. I'd be glad to get you one. Uh, And I'm not going to go through it all right now, but other than to say, there are lots and lots and lots of good reasons to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. just one quote here. Um, this is what I ended chapter 2 with in my book. It says, To those of you who have hoped that God would give you a sign that he exists, I urge you to see that the God who created the universe and you has revealed himself to you through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God wants you to know that there is the power of life over death. That's why he sent Jesus to our world to show his power over death. And there's even a verse in the Bible that talks about how this is a kind of proof for us, even for people who didn't see the resurrection. We, we might want videotape evidence of, of him you know, dying and then walking out of the grave. We're not going to get that. But what we will get is this relationship with a God who loves us and wants to show us his power of life over death. But the real power in the resurrection isn't in my attempt to explain it. Okay, so what I want you to know is the, the resurrection power at work in you. So that's where I want to close with my sermon now. I want to show you three things the death and resurrection of Jesus show us. So the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead also, um, did you know in the Bible that it says that Jesus raised himself from the dead? It also says that the Father raised him from the dead. It's kind of this inner working of the Trinity where um, they were both at work to raise Jesus from the dead. Okay, three things it shows us. Number one, God is the God of life. God is the God of life. For those of us who believe in Jesus, death is not the final answer. Isn't that good news? You ever known somebody who died? Yeah, we all have, right? Death is not the final answer. It's not the final answer for you. It doesn't have to be because God is the God of life and he gives eternal life to those who believe. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's two options there. One of them is really bad, and God doesn't want that option for you. He wants you to believe and have eternal life. We were created to live. Now, sin obviously gets in the way, but God has a solution for that. He has an eternal solution, and the victory of Jesus over sin and death shows us that solution. And because Jesus lives again, did you know that we can have new life? It's actually pretty powerful the way the Bible talks about this new life that we get in on. Let me show you a couple of verses. Romans 6, 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Think about this. What kind of life does Jesus have now after his resurrection from the dead? Eternal life. Glorious life. We too may live a new life because Jesus lives. We too can live forever. 
And then 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Should no longer live for themselves. Let's just think about that for a moment. We are all tempted to live for ourselves. Every one of us knows it. Every one of us knows that we have our own thoughts and our own plans about the way that we want our lives to go. And so often what we do is we put our energy, our attempts, our efforts into living that life. And then something else comes along and and asks us to live a different way. So let's say even just a very simple example. You've got your Friday night all figured out what you're going to do. And then somebody comes to you and says, oh, hey, I'm going to move on Friday night. Could you help me? We all struggle with those sorts of things. And that's just a simple, simple thing. Now think about it on a, on a much more important scale. You have your plans for your life, what you want to do. God has his plans for you. What do we do? Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The, the fact that we were saved out of death and brought into new life should help us see that we have a new life to live. It's not just that we say, hey, thanks, Jesus, for that salvation stuff. Now I'll go live my life the way that I want to until you come and take me back. No, this new life in Jesus means a new path for us. Uh, Was it last week? Two weeks ago, I think, we looked at Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. That word way, it means road or path. And that path is often very different than the path that we would pick for ourselves. So God is the God of life. He leads us in new life. Let's not settle for the life that we would pick for ourselves. And, and again, we all struggle with that. And I just want you to notice how often we are tempted to live that life. And let's, let's instead live for the one who died for us. Okay, so that's the first thing that I want to show you uh, about the death and resurrection of Jesus, that God is the God of life. Second, I want to show you that God is holy. Holy means set apart or perfect. It includes the idea that God has never sinned and never will sin. Now let me ask this question. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die? Why didn't God just send Jesus to earth and, and Jesus teaches us a bunch of really good things about God and, he, and Jesus says, believe in me and you'll have eternal life and then God takes him back up to heaven before he dies. Why didn't God do it that way? Have you ever thought about that? I, I think one of the reasons is that we would not understand just how bad our sin is if it happened that way. You see, our sin is so bad that if left unforgiven, it would lead us to be eternally separated from God. We tend to think that our sin isn't all that bad and that God should just look the other way or sweep it under the rug and that maybe just a few kind words from Jesus might just, you know, be the end of it. Well, the death of Jesus is meant to show us that our sin is utterly offensive in the sight of a holy, perfect God. Please know that. Um, I, w- I heard a quote from somebody, and I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but it reminded me of, of another way that I like to say it, that I hope that we hate our sin so much that we want it gone. The, the fact that the only solution for your sin and for my sin was the, that the perfect Son of God would die for it should show you just how bad our sin is. And it should show you just how unholy we are. Now, God is holy. He lives in perfection in the holy heaven. And we are unholy on our own. And that's a huge problem. The cross of Jesus stands in between and stands as a solution for us. 
And it's the only solution. Jesus said again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God is a holy God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, our sin would have led to eternal death. But then there's this offer of God, this gift of God. So what would you rather have, death or life? God is the God of life and he's offering you life. You are not holy enough on your own to get life. You need Jesus. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus show us, that we need Jesus. There's no other solution for our sin problem. And that leads to the third thing that I want to show you about the death and resurrection of Jesus. God is love. Why did God send Jesus? Well, I told you in my last point that God sent Jesus because our sin was terrible. And that was the only solution. But God didn't have to do that. He could have let us die in our sins. Let me use a simple illustration here, though. Let's say that you're in a house, and you're you're a parent, and you're in a house, and the house just massively engulfed in flames. You get out, and you notice that your kid didn't get out. You're able to go back in and rescue your kid, do you? Of course. Of course you do. That's the love of a parent. That's the love, multiply that by infinity, and that's, that's the love that God has for us. That he doesn't want us to die like we would have died apart from him because we're all sinners. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God is love, and he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay dead. So he sent Jesus. 1 John 4, 9-10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A few verses later in that passage, it says, we love because he first loved us. So when it says in verse 10, it's not that we loved God, what it means is that he was the one who loved us first. He saw us with our backs turned to him, dead in sin, and he sent Jesus to rescue us. It's the love of God for us. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus for us. Jesus loves us so much that he willingly offered himself for us on the cross. And the resurrection shows us that it all worked. That Jesus has power over sin and death and the devil. So, we get back and we think about the lesson of John 11. Again, what was the key word? Believe. You could also say the key words are resurrection and life. So, let's just put them all together here. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that God sent him for you? Do you believe that only through him can you have life? That only through him can you be raised from the dead? Both spiritually speaking, because we were all dead in sin, we need to be raised from that. And then also physically speaking, if our bodies die, we need to be raised from that. It all happens through believing in Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Like I said before, we have two options. Either believe or reject. If we believe, we get in on resurrection. If we believe, we get in on life. If we reject, we don't get in on that. To believe in Jesus is to give your life to God, to receive him as Savior and Lord. And I just want to close by saying it this way. So often I say it this way at Cornerstone, that to believe in Jesus is to receive him as Savior and Lord. As our Savior, he saves us from our sins. And I hope hope that nobody would walk away from here thinking that we could cover our own sin problem because we can't it has to be forgiven by Jesus if it's going to be forgiven at all so we receive him as savior asking him to forgive us of our sins 
And we receive him as Lord. And Lord means master. It means that he's in charge. So instead of pretending to direct our own lives in whatever way that we think is best, we give our lives to Jesus and we follow him. And that commitment that you can make is a commitment of belief right now to give your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then, if you know him as Savior and Lord, then you keep committing to walk with him on the path that he has for you. And if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, then even if your body dies, the real part of you, the important part of you, will live forever and will never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to close in a prayer now, and the first part of my prayer is just going to be a a prayer that you can pray with me. It's not going to be magic words, but if you want to pray a prayer of faith to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can repeat after me or just um, make up your own words to, to tell Jesus that you want him to be your Savior and Lord. So that's the first part of my prayer, and then I'll, I'll close with a prayer for all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I know that I have sinned. I know that I can't save myself from sin. So I pray to receive Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me for all of my sins. And Lord, I also pray to receive Jesus as Lord, as Master. I give my life to you, God. Would you please strengthen me to follow you? And Lord, I pray that that here and around the world that you would draw people to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would use us in that to let other people know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Lord, we pray that this Easter Sunday that many people across the globe would put their faith in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us to keep walking with him. He is life. We are so tempted to think that we can find life on our own, on a different path. God, we pray that we would be humble and would recognize that you have life for us as we follow Jesus. So Lord, please strengthen us for that. And may we give you honor and glory by the way that we believe in you and keep believing in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.